preseason week one is in the books. We'll be talking all about it from Jordan Love, the offense, the defense. We're going to get to all of it on this week's edition of the Final Dump. Great news on the injury front. Elgton Jenkins, Christian Watson, Robert Tunyon, they're all back from the pup list. What does that mean? We've got significant to some. So much coming up here on this preseason week two edition of the Final Dump. News dump. News dump, yay! News dump. I mean, that's kind of a loaded question. It's a landslide! It's the final dump, presented by Game On Wisconsin. It is indeed the final dump. Welcome to episode number three, preseason number Preseason week number two, Brendan Dorzinski here and filling in for my normal co-host, Matt Freilich, who is dealing with a uh, family-related issue this week, is the one, the only, the head honcho, the big boss man, Jacob Westendorf from Game On Wisconsin Studios. Jacob, great to have you on the final dump. I believe your inaugural appearance on the final dump, in fact. That sounds right to me. I know it's not the first thing we've done together, but I do think it's my first appearance on the show. Good to be here. Just want to you know, extend my thoughts to Mr. Freilich. Don't need to go any further uh, than that. Just want him to know we're all thinking about him and, and everything uh, going on. Yep, absolutely. Thinking of Matt this weekend. Excited for whenever Matt is able to join us for our next edition of the show. But we've got so much to get to on today's program. Obviously, we're going to be talking about the injury front and some fantastic news, some desperately needed fantastic news for the Packers in that regard. Preseason week one is in the books. The loss to the 49ers will get you our standouts from the game. And of course, they cannot beat those guys. No, I don't know. It doesn't matter if the game matters or doesn't. Like, pain every single time even in games that don't matter there's pain with it but we'll talk all about it we'll of course get to Jordan Love's performance we've got running back props to get to this week insignificant to some and of course we'll look ahead to preseason week two against the New Orleans Saints but first things first Jacob let's get into the great news for the Packers over the last couple of days Sunday into Monday the return from the physically unable to perform list for Elton Jenkins Robert Tunyon and Christian Watson, all back, able to practice in some capacity. Not everybody getting back in full participation mode yet. It was just a jog through on Monday. But Christian Watson, anytime he is on the practice field, catching a ball thrown out of the hand of number 12, two-time defending MVP Aaron Rodgers, that is a good thing for his development. That is a good thing for the future of this team. Obviously, it's been way too long since we've seen Big Bob Tunyon out there. And Elton Jenkins, I would argue, is one of the most one of the most, I mean, top, tippy top tier, most important pieces for this offense because A, the offensive line is probably going to need some help here in the immediate future. And B, he is just so unbelievably versatile and good everywhere you put him. We'll talk about Jenkins in particular coming up here in just a moment, where he'll play and when he'll be able to get back to full competition. But Jacob, just overall thoughts on how vital it is to get these guys back and to get them back now. You know, for Watson, it's obvious he's got to get reps. That's the most important thing for him. So getting him out there for as much of training camp as possible, obviously huge. You want to get Tunyon back up to speed. You want to be able to test Jenkins' knee, make sure he's feeling okay. He says he's feeling great, which is a good start. But overall, I don't think you could ask for better news than getting this trio of guys back unless you also happen to throw David Bakhtiari in the mix. Yeah, and you mentioned like it's not just getting them back. It's getting them back now where they're going to be on the 53-man roster, which means the Packers are anticipating 
these guys are going to play, if not week one, certainly early in the season, because they're not going to punt on, you know, if they're going to miss three games, the Packers are probably fine putting them on pup, saving the roster spot because it's just one more game at that point. But you mentioned those guys specifically, we're talking about Christian Watson obviously is the most maybe exciting of the group because he's the highest picked receiver Green Bay's had since Devontae Adams, which is not directly, but the guy he's helping replace. Um, So you've got that with Watson and the other two guys, just from the standpoint of how good they are, number one, and number two, just the position groups that they are playing in and maybe some of the lack of stability and ability on those specific groups. You know, you talk about the offensive line. I mentioned last week, I don't think it was, I don't think it can be overstated that Green Bay had two all pro offensive linemen on the shelf. And then you go left to right for the guys that were playing, you know, that group that started on Friday night is the group that it was going to start against Minnesota. If Green Bay wasn't able to get one of those guys back and you're talking Yosh Nyman, who's like a replacement level player at tackle, which is incredibly valuable, but he's still just, just replacement level. John Runyon is a solid player. We don't really know what Josh Myers is. People like him, but we don't know what he is. He hasn't played a whole lot of football in the NFL. Jake Hansen has not played any NFL football of significance. And the same was true of Royce Newman at tackle or whether that turned into Zach Tom or somebody like that. Now you throw Elton Jenkins into the mix and like they, they trotted out the first group today. Newman kicked inside to guard Jenkins at right tackle. And you're almost kind of like, I just feel better. I don't know if like, you know, if Elton Jenkins is just one of those like catch all, I feel better about everything things, but it certainly felt that way. And seeing him back on the field, I don't think, especially when you talk early in the year, look at some of the pass rushers Green Bay is going to have to face in their first three, four games of the season. Robert Quinn, who was, he set the franchise record, a franchise that has included Richard Dent. Robert Quinn owns the, and Khalil Mack. Robert Quinn owns the record for sacks in the season for the Chicago Bears. Daniel Hunter and a guy that you guys might know, his name is Darius Smith, is going to play on that first week of the season. And of course, week three, Tampa Bay, Shaq Barrett. We know all about those guys and some of the other guys, Joe Tryon, some of the other players that they've been able to bring through there. I don't think that can be overstated. Hopefully they're able to get Bakhtiari back. And then you start feeling like the offensive line going from a group that's a question mark to like, is this one of the strengths of the team? And Tunyon injured last year in October, comes back this week. If you look at that tight end group, Brendan, it's not good. <laughs> like it's, it's, it just isn't like Mercedes Lewis is what he is. And that's a good thing. That's not meant to be a slight towards him. Josiah DeGuara is what he is. Is he good at that? I don't know. Like, I don't even think you really can know. Maybe this is a year three type jump situation for him and the worst player on the field Friday night. And I'm not trying to be disrespectful when I say this, it's just reality. The worst player on the field Friday night was Tyler Davis. Somebody they've talked about a lot this off season who, Fair or not, maybe indirectly, Green Bay didn't draft a tight end because of Tyler, not solely because of Tyler Davis, but Brian Gutekunst said, oh, we like him quite a bit. Tanyan at least gives the Packers somebody that has had actual production in the NFL in recent memory that you could feasibly think does something like that again and adds another veteran to a pass catching group in case Christian Watson or Romeo Dobbs are having a rookie moment or something like that, so to speak. So I am, I don't think you could be any more thrilled with those guys coming back. Now it's just whoever will these three guys to come back. Now let's will number 69 back on the field. I am, my soul is ready. My heart is ready. I need David Bakhtiari as my left tackle, man. I just do. I need him back. No. And I, I, again, I think that's the only way this news could have been 
taken any better is if, oh, by the way, 69 is back on the field and who wouldn't want to see a little more 69 out there once in a while. So I, I think that would obviously be big. And once we eventually get to that point, that will be huge for this program. But to get these three back and for the two pass catchers specifically, again, I'll just go back to the point I made already. Reps are going to be so huge for both of them. For Watson, because he just hasn't played a ton of major competitive football. You had the FCS COVID year and all that. And obviously he had a great season last season. He's a physical specimen, all of that. There's a reason the Packers took him. And honestly, the the most recent time the Packers drafted someone as highly as they took Watson was when they took Javon Walker in 2002 because Christian Watson went 34th overall. Devontae, back in 2014, he was 53rd. He was a mid-second round pick. It has been that long. So obviously there's a lot of hope. And for me personally, I want Christian Watson to go out there and to be able to play well right away because I'm just sick of seeing idiots on Twitter talk about how, oh, you could have had George Pickens. Oh, I don't care. Okay, cool. He had three catches in the preseason too. Sick. I don't care. Christian Watson, go out and ball. And I think he would have that kind of hype if he had been able to play so far and been able to practice at training camp without this injury. So getting him back out there, getting him reps, getting him used to Aaron Rodgers, catching passes from Aaron Rodgers or Jordan Love or whoever it is, obviously that's huge. For Tunyon, you hit the nail on the head. The tight end group is concerning, I think. And we had a point from our guy, Iowa Joe, on the game on Wisconsin YouTube that hey, Packers made a claim at tight end on Monday as well, that let's just get as many bodies in here as possible to try out for this position. And I know the team is high on Tyler Davis. You're right. I mean, he, he had a really bad game against San Francisco. That happens sometimes. That's not a an insulting thing to say. He just had a really bad game. He had a pass that hit him square in the hands, popped straight up in the air and get intercepted and returned more than half the field in the opposite direction. He whiffed on multiple blocks on the outside on running plays. It was just a bad game for him overall, but there also, I don't think has been enough data to prove. Yeah, this guy's actually going to be a really good piece at some point. I just don't think we have enough of a data set to prove that Mercedes Lewis, like you said, he is what he is and what he is, is good, is useful, is helpful. It's also, really indicative of where the tight end room is, is that the most exciting plays that tight ends made last year were bootleg rollout little flat flares to Mercedes Lewis that went for eight yards where he just stepped over a dude. Like that was the most exciting thing the tight ends did all of last season, pretty much. And that's not really speaking with all that much hyperbole. So to get him back in there, stabilize that group, that's obviously big. Let's get to Elton Jenkins though, in particular, because I think there's a couple different parts of the Jenkins equation that really stand out. One, and you laid it out with the offensive line, I think very eloquently that you need this guy out there. You just feel better when a guy who is that talented is out there. And even if you want to argue, well, I don't know about right tackle because I feel more comfortable with him inside. One, we'll get to the position in a moment, but two, he's still by far your best option at right tackle. And if you have to settle for putting this guy at right tackle, you're obviously in a pretty good spot. So you just feel so much more comfortable with him out there. But at the same time, we don't really know when he is going to be able to get back out on the field. And Matt LaFleur made that point saying that, hey, look, we don't know where he's going to play. I don't want to commit to putting him on the left side. I don't want to commit to putting him on the right side either. And then he made jokes about, I don't even want to commit to putting him at tight end. And I bet you beat guys would really love to write a story about that. And uh, Matt Schneiderman, friend of Game on Wisconsin, said, uh, yeah, we actually wouldn't love to write about that. But there's no. Maybe that's the solution to the tight end problem. 
well, there you go. Add a little more sight. <laughs> he can't be slower than Mercedes Lewis. I love Big Dog, but there's no way he's slower than Mercedes Lewis at this stage of their two careers. So the question for me then, Jacob, is when does he come back? When are we going to actually see more of Big E, Elkton Jenkins? Because if it is, hey, we got to put him back on the pup list because we think by week seven he'll be ready, but we don't know about those first six weeks. Okay, I'm deflated a little bit. If it becomes, hey, he's not going to be ready for week one, but week three through six, it's going to be somewhere in there where he's ready to go. I'm feeling great. I would feel so much better. I don't need him back week one necessarily. You certainly need him back in the second half of the year when playoff time comes. But if you can get him back any time within the first month-ish of the season, I would consider that a win, considering it was week 11 last year when this guy tore his ACL. For some people, they come back in 10 to 11 months. Some people are just freaks or possibly on steroids, allegedly. They come back in like nine months and maybe win NFL MVP. And then for some guys like Bakhtiari, you've got so much other nonsense going on in there, it takes well over a year. So to me, and, and I don't know if you feel the same way, Jacob, but for me, as long as you get him back September, early-ish October, I'd consider that a major win. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I would have felt that way, you know, before they took him off uh, the pop list. And this, I think the David Bakhtiari situation has scarred a lot of people, and understandably so. Uh, we didn't have all the information about Bakhtiari's injury, and it's been made very clear that it it was not just an ACL and he's had some complications post-surgery and he's had three operations. He said that himself on the Packers broadcast on Friday night. So it's a lot going on with Bakhtiari that I think has caused people to think like, Oh man, you know, what about with Elton? And that's why, like, I even think LaFleur has said, I'm not putting a timeline on it. We're not going to rush him back, blah, blah, blah. I do think some of that is him guarding against what happened last year with Bakhtiari, where it was like, okay, they put him on the pup. And then we were all like, oh, he'll be back, you know, for Seattle. And then he wasn't back for Seattle. And then it was like, oh, okay, he'll be back for this. And then Elton got hurt. And it was like, okay, well, he's got to come back now because you know, Elton's not playing. And they were just, they have a big lead. So they were nursing that. And it turns out he was just never ready. And Bakhtiari, even that last game of the season, I don't know if he was ready to play that day. And they just said, okay, well, we need to push through this a little bit. And then they did. And if it was detrimental to his, his full recovery, who knows? We'll never fully know what was going on. But with Jenkins, I can't see them activate. It's August 15th. They play the Vikings in less than 30 days. He was taking first team reps at offensive tackle today, albeit in a walkthrough. And I understand that, but he has what three, four weeks to get ready for Minnesota. I would, I don't want to say I'd be surprised just because of how the Packers have operated and how maybe I'm just, Again, PTSD from Bakhtiari and everything. But I would be surprised if he's not playing offensive tackle the first week of the season against Minnesota with the timing of them activating him. Now, if you think about it, if he was during the season, when you activate a guy from the pup list, you have three weeks to determine whether you're putting him on injured reserve and he's out for the rest of the season or if you're going to activate him. Well, right now, the Packers, that would be, this fits that three-week timeline perfectly. Three weeks from today is September 5th. Well, what does that coincide with? One, my birthday, which is the previous Saturday. But more importantly, more importantly, that is the Monday of the start of game week. And the Packers would have to decide that week whether or not they were getting Jenkins ready and active or if they were going to put him on injured reserve. So I think he's going to play. And I think he's going to play. If not week one, I would be thinking week two at the latest 
but I'm also not a doctor and God knows with the way this franchise is cursed with injuries to great players, pour one out for Nick Collins, pour one out for Jermichael Finley. And I'm hopefully not adding others to that list as we go through everything. I really struggle to see him not playing early in the season. And honestly, probably week one, if you made me absolutely guess and on what I had to do. I think I forgot that we were birthday buddies. I almost completely forgot that that was the case. Cause you're the third, right? September mm-hmm. 3rd. September yep. 2nd, right here. I, I yep. totally forgot we had birthdays on back-to-back days. So my son is going to be due, and he's due the 24th. So what I've gathered now from this show, he's actually going to be born September 4th. That's what's going to happen, and we'll complete the trifecta. Alternately, my wife's birthday is September 25th, so they would have back-to-back days as well. Oh, then maybe he'll come right on time. I guess we'll see which one of you he likes more. We'll see. Uh, I don't actually know off the top of my head when Elton Jenkins' birthday is, trying to bring it back to the Green Bay Packers. But your points, I think, are all spot on there, and I – I would love to see him out there week one, and I'm hopeful that the fact that he is back now, and he he said in the media scrum this weekend, yeah, my, my knee feels good. Got a the sleeve on it, and I, I felt good pushing off and just trying to get through the pain and all that. I would love for him to be out there week one, but I think this is a great example of why it is so imperative to get everybody else up to speed, not even up to speed, beyond that, 110% of normal speed. So you are ready to go if, hey, the plan is he's going to be there week one. Well, there's still something that's coming up and we're not going to be able to get him for week one. It might be two or three. So someone else has to step in there, whether it's Zach Tom, whether it's Newman has to kick outside to right tackle. I don't know what the combination is going to end up being, but everybody has got to be on the same page and be ready to go. And I trust that that's going to be the case. I've said it multiple times on the show. I've said it multiple times just this season. I trust Adam Stenovich and whoever is working on that offensive line to get that group ready to go. Even if it's not the most talented combination of five offensive linemen, I trust that they are going to be ready to go when called upon. I would just rather that group be involving Elkton Jenkins. The other question about mm-hmm. this too, Matt, and or I'm so used to talking Whoa. to Matt, obviously <laughs> Jacob sitting in here. I know one of you two is probably insulted there. I'm not. He is much better looking than I am. So it's definitely him. But Jacob, the other point here is where is Big E going to play when he gets back on the field? And Rob Domovsky and various other beat writers, they took the pictures and videos of him doing the pass sets, doing workouts at right tackle and the right tackle stance and all that. Mark Tauscher made a comment about it on Twitter as well. That is where I think we all assume he is going to be. So I will leave this up to you because I feel as though, not to make the final determination for the roster and the depth chart, obviously, but I will ask you this question. Is that the best use of Elton Jenkins to put him at right tackle? I feel like the answer is yes, because it's a more valuable spot than any given guard position is your two tackles. So you want your best possible option out there on the edge. It's not like he is a bum at right tackle. Yeah, maybe he fits a little more naturally inside, but he has proven at left tackle, at right tackle, that he is more than capable of holding his own. In fact, I would argue he's almost as good as any other tackle in the league, even if it's not his most natural fluid position. So yes, I am totally comfortable with him being at right tackle. Do you feel the same way if that's where he does end up playing whenever he gets back? Yeah, if you could tell me that Josh Nyman could play right tackle at an above average level, which I, I mean, I know Josh is like the darling of somebody. He didn't play left tackle at an above average level last year. He played it at an average level, which is valuable, but there are a lot of things the Packers had to do to help him kind of play at that level as well. But if you could tell me that, then you could tell me that David Bakhtiari and Elton Jenkins were protecting Aaron Rodgers' blind side on the, on the twilight of his career. I would love that. 
Elton Jenkins is an all pro guard. David Bakhtiari is an all pro left tackle. Putting those two guys together would be incredible. And we've seen that obviously, right? The 2020 season when they nuked the entire league on offense, had those two guys playing right next to each other that way for most of the year, at least. You can't tell me that, though, is the problem. One, you can't tell me David Bakhtiari is going to be back. And you can't tell me that Josh Diamond can play right tackle as well as Elton Jenkins, could he, or even just a slightly lower level than what Elton Jenkins plays at right tackle. So with that in mind, I think right tackle is the answer to your question. I know people have said, well, he's your best offensive lineman. Put him at left tackle until Bakhtiari comes back. Number one, Josh Nyman is probably a better left tackle than Royce Newman is right tackle, which is what you would be doing in that scenario. Um, maybe they put Yosha right tackle, but he's never done that. And obviously you got the very famous, if not infamous quote from Josh Sitton about wiping certain things with other hands and what that's like with, with being on the other side of the offensive line and everything like that. So I think the answer is right tackle because then Yosh Nyman can play left tackle, do that at the average. Maybe he's better this year than he was last year. Maybe he's better than that. That's good. And then when Bakhtiari comes back, it's a seamless transition. He steps in, he plays left tackle. Nyman becomes a swing tackle, goes to the bench. It's all happy and healthy. And they don't do the musical chairs on the offensive line, which solely exists to drive me insane, which I hate that. But the Packers seem to not care. They've rotated guys from game to game. They put Elton Jenkins at right tackle in a season opener in 2020. And then when... Lane Taylor got hurt. They moved Jenkins back into guard. They switched. They just shuffled the entire offensive line during the first game of the season. So they don't care, but I do. And since you asked me and I care, yeah, Jenkins at right tackle because it requires the least amount of movement from everyone else. And it makes it to where if your quote unquote weak spot is the right guard spot. Well, now he's got a really good tackle next to him and a guy that they really like at center next to him as well. So they can kind of play off very similarly to what they've done in recent years with Lucas Patrick. I just feel as though you have to put your best players in the positions where they're going to, A, find the most success, but I think Elkin Jenkins is good enough that he's going to find success anywhere and where they're going to maximize their value for your team. And I feel like that is getting him out at tackle. So I'm right there with you on, on where he is going to be the most valuable. And, and the seamless transition, I think is a great point because I like Josh Nyman. We've already this season had our mea culpa on making fun for no real apparent reason on Josh Nyman last year during the preseason. And okay. Yeah, whatever. Well, he stepped in and played admirably, not great, but he played admirably enough last year. I would much rather, and I'm right there with you. I would much rather be able to just say, okay, Josh out Bach in, then have to say, okay, well, first we got to take Newman back inside, take whoever replaces him at guard out, then move Elton Jenkins back across the line from left to right, and then Bach can go in. That That's too much. Continuity is so valuable, and even though this team has proven that they're willing to do the frustrating thing and just kind of mix things up on a whim, or seemingly on a whim, doesn't mean that's always necessarily the best case. So I'm with you in that regard. And again, as long as he's out there, this Packers offensive line is – demonstrably better and excitingly better. I just think you get the most value out of him when he's playing at right tackle. So that's the good news for the Packers. Again, Elton Jenkins, Christian Watson, Robert Tunyon, all coming back. Huge for this team. Extremely exciting, especially I think for me, for Jenkins, this isn't to put Tunyon down, but for Jenkins, because this offensive line needs a little bit of a 
injection of life and for Watson because I'm just so curious about what he's going to be able to do playing at the NFL level with that athletic profile with that kind of speed catching some deep balls from Aaron Rodgers maybe not all deep balls just because you have speed doesn't mean you only have to be a deep ball threat but we already have seen Packers football this year it well, football, you know, you can put it in quotation marks as much as you want. Preseason football, week one. Let's get to some reactions from this game against San Francisco. You mentioned it earlier in the show, Jacob, that for whatever reason, preseason, sometimes in the regular season, always in the postseason, it just never seems to go well against this team. I thought there was some good. We'll get to a few particular standouts coming up in a couple of moments. But the place where we have to start is with Jordan Love. and. I made my stance on this clear on Twitter over the weekend that I just am I'm over some of the litigation and the relitigation of this and the constant talk about the 2020 draft. It sunk cost, guys. He's here. It, whether you like it or not, he's here. I wish we could move more of the conversation forward. If you don't like the his play style, if you don't think he's a good player, okay, that's one thing. The constant over and over, well, we could have done this, or we could have drafted this guy. I just find it to be extremely tiring. Jordan Love is a Green Bay Packer. Right now, he is the backup to Aaron Rodgers. It is what it is. I said last week, I do not think he's the next starting quarterback of the Packers. I think Aaron Rodgers is going to play long enough that you're not paying Jordan Love a second contract. It just doesn't make any sense. So I think he's going to end up at some point playing for a different team because Rodgers is going to play long enough. That's all fine. As for this particular appearance for Jordan Love, I think three interceptions is not necessarily indicative of how poor he played at some points, because like we said earlier, one throw hit Tyler Davis square in the hands, popped up in the air and got intercepted. That's not on Jordan Love. The throw to Romeo Dobbs that got picked off. It wasn't a great throw. I think that's fair to say. Dobbs had to make quite an adjustment just to get his hands on the ball in the first place. The ball also was effectively on the turf when it slithered out of Dobbs's reach into a defensive back's hands. Okay. So Great throw, no. His fault, they got picked off on a freak play. I think, personally, also no. Then he also threw one over the middle to Amari Rodgers. It was just a terrible decision. And that's that's the concern, right? That's the valley, the peaks and valleys of the Jordan Love experience. That's one of the valleys. You also had the peaks. I thought the good that came from this game was a couple of nice throws down the field. The wide-open touchdown to Romeo Dobbs, I thought, A, was a beautiful throw. B, totally butt naked because I told you we were going to go final dump all the way to the top 1% of only fans with that. And I was chilling at home and it was party time when Romeo Dobbs caught that long pass. I thought the throw for the other touchdown was fairly impressive down the field as well. He also clearly has a better grasp of this offense. And you can tell me if that's me being a homer, that's totally fair because I will never hide the fact that I am, but it seemed like he was more comfortable. It seemed like he grasped what was going on around him better than he has in the past, better than he did certainly at Arrowhead Stadium last year in the middle of the season against the Chiefs, more so than he did against the Lions at the end of last year. He seemed more comfortable, which is valuable. There is true legitimate value to that. There's also the fact that his decision-making is still a major concern. There are obvious concerns, and it's not just a, well, Come on, come to break. Not everyone's Aaron Rodgers. He doesn't have to be Aaron Rodgers, but he has to not make boneheaded decisions too. So I think it is fair to say I need and want to see more from him and that there are still, I think, major concerns, but there was at least enough of a spark there positively to make me think, okay, there is still something here to be worked with. 
Yeah, there is. Uh, the peaks and valleys, like you mentioned, are, are certainly there. Um, you talked about a couple of the interceptions that were. There were also a few that weren't. You know, there was a ball that was tipped in the air by Jawan Winfrey and was caught uh, by Jawan Winfrey. There was a ball that also could have been intercepted. There was another play that was turnover worthy in my estimation. So as far as, you know, well, that, you know, those weren't his fault. I think those evened out. Uh, and that's the part that really is kind of frustrating because now you're saying, now granted, like you said, he's not going to be Aaron Rodgers. He's not going to turn the ball over at the historic rate that Aaron Rodgers hasn't turned the ball over. But he also, like I said the other day to somebody, if he had to start 17 games, God forbid Aaron Rodgers were injured and couldn't play, knock on wood and whatever other superstitions you need to do to get rid of bad luck that way. If that were the case, I don't know if I would think the Packers could finish 10 and seven. And I'm asking for average quarterback play in order to do that. And that's where you said, you don't want to rehash the 2020 draft. And I get it. You know, I've said my take on it a million times. I don't care that they picked a quarterback. Uh, I don't care about the current quarterback's feelings that they drafted quote unquote, his replacement, suck it up, get over it. Big deal. But I do care that I didn't think Jordan Love was a good prospect and that they traded up for a guy that, in my estimation, was a third-round player. Now, I'm just me. Who am I to say anything one way or the other? But that was my estimation. I've seen nothing of, what, a couple preseason games and a few regular season bits of action to come off of that assessment either. And I think Jordan Love is a case of however you felt about him going into that draft is probably how you feel now. And if you liked him, then you probably still like him and think some things can be good. I didn't like him, so I still don't. And I now wonder, you know, number one, Green Bay should absolutely not pick up that fifth-year option. There is no purpose in good to be served for that. The only way that it would be is if Love were to play a regular season game this year, have the 2007 Cowboys appearance, the Packers win the Super Bowl, and Aaron Rodgers rides into the sunset, then okay. You pick up that option to buy yourself a relatively afford. Jimmy Garoppolo is making 20 some odd million dollars this year. Why not Jordan Love if you think he's got some higher upside that way? But otherwise, no purpose. I think this is a guy where Green Bay takes a quarterback in this upcoming year's draft and kind of restarts that clock of when they're going to have to make that transition to the next quarterback. Now, did he do some good things? Yeah, that thing you mentioned about him looking more comfortable, certainly there. But the things he did, didn't do well coming out. We're still there too. Like you mentioned the interception to Dobbs, not his fault, but also could have been avoided if he puts the ball in a better spot. And those are things that like, this is a, this is a tough business. And I know Jordan love hasn't been dealt the most fair hand, but at the same time, at some point your ability has to shine through. And I know it's not his fault. He got drafted by the Packers in a COVID year and, and is going to be following one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever lace them up. But at some point you've got to show something as to why they drafted you that high. And I have yet to see anything in any extended action from him that says he's the quarterback of the future. Now this week we get to see something that we've never seen before. Jordan love is going to play in back-to-back -back weeks for the first time in his career. That's never happened before. These are big weeks for him to show something. Now, what's that going to be? I don't know. You know, like I said, I don't think he's going to be the next starting quarterback of the Packers. I don't think that has anything to do with how the Packers feel about him necessarily. Aaron Rodgers won back-to-back -back league MVPs. Like, I know the team success that you would like that normally gets heaped on quarterbacks didn't follow, 
but there's nothing from an individual standpoint that Aaron Rodgers could have done more to keep his job. And frankly, if Green Bay were to move on from Aaron Rodgers solely because they decided, and I've said this a million times too, if they decided who their starting quarterback in 2022 was on draft night of 2020, then everybody involved in that decision needs to be fired. Clearly they didn't do that. They accounted for variable change. So Jordan Love, if you want to ask, like, you know, that Kansas City game was D minus quarterback play, which, okay, I'm willing to throw that out because of everything that went along with it. The Detroit game, C minus quarterback play. I mean, he threw two interceptions in one half of play. Now, one of them a desperation bit, one off the receiver's hands, but like the one off his receiver's hands wasn't in a good spot, all that stuff. There's just a lot going on. And then the other night, I've seen people say like a solid B. I just don't agree with that. You know, solid B is like, you know, one of those interceptions that wasn't his fault. And then he maybe he has the two interceptions and doesn't throw the one to Amari Rodgers and eliminates the other two that I brought up earlier. But I can't agree with the solid B on that. You know, again, C minus below average quarterback play. And obviously some good too, right? Like you mentioned the Romeo Dobbs touchdown where you removed all of your clothes. And now I'm jealous I wasn't in your house when that happened. But, you know, that's a sight for sore eyes at some point. I don't know. I don't know what to make of this. You know, I think that there are going to be people on the internet that are Jordan Love homers. Like they almost push themselves so far in that direction of wanting to support him that they see things that aren't there or like they've spun things that could be taken one way or the other. You know, I I do think that there are certainly some weirdos rooting against Jordan Love because they'd rather be right. But I also think that there are a lot of people like myself that think Jordan Love stinks and that's just the way that it is. And it's, I, I mean, if he ever is a starting quarterback of the Packers, I'll be more than happy to root for him and everything like that. But I just, I don't think that's a good situation for green Bay. But again, a phrase that a lot of people make fun of on the internet that I'm going to utter right now is if he has to play, I hope I'm wrong. No, absolutely. And I, that's always been my, my credo when it comes to the Packers is if I have an opinion that's negative and it ends up being a positive for the team and I'm wrong, happy about that. I think there's a big difference. And I think you feel the same way between saying, I want Jordan love to fail because I want to be right about 2020. And I hated the pick originally. And I hope for the best for the team and for him. I just don't think he's a good football player. I think those are two very distinct things. And I think those are unfortunately two very tribal camps at this point, at least when you come to the social media gang of Packers fans out there. That's the hard part, right? Twitter doesn't have any nuance to it. So if I say that, I get put into a bucket that I don't belong in. Oh, you hate Jordan Love. No, I don't. I just don't think he's played well. Like, I didn't like Aaron Rodgers necessarily. I grew up and worshipped at the altar of Brett Favre. I have... We're at the time of year now where like your Facebook memories is showing things that you said 15 years ago. One of my posts from the other day was like, forget Ted Thompson, bring back Brett Favre. I didn't want Aaron Rodgers to be the starting quarterback. Now I can also tell you that the minute they traded Brett Favre and he became the starting quarterback, I was all in on Aaron Rodgers because this is my favorite team. And I root for the guys that wear my favorite team's Jersey. I don't care who it is. Well, Maybe Deshaun Watson, but that would be a different discussion and conversation to have. I probably wouldn't root for that guy. But any other without legal issues and stuff like that? Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. And that's how it works. I just don't think Jordan Love is very good. And unfortunately, that gets me pegged to somebody who hates him. I don't hate him. I just 
haven't seen anything to prove me wrong yet. And I'll be happy to admit it when it does happen, if it happens. I saw a quote from someone who covers the Eagles on Monday because they traded wide receiver, now tight end, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, who has been a bust. He was taken in the 2019 draft of wide receivers that included DK Metcalf. (laughs) Yeah. Before DK Metcalf, a draft that also included Terry McLaurin in the third round. Deontay Johnson went in the third round of that draft. A bunch of dudes in the second round before him were studs. I think a white side stinks. He's just not a good player. But I I saw this quote, I think it was from Jimmy Kemsky on Twitter who said, I give him so much credit because he is a good guy and he tries really hard and he always put in the effort, put his head down, worked hard. He's just not good at football. And Mm -hmm. I I think that's a totally fair thing to say. That doesn't make you a hater. That just means, hey, my, my job or my position I have made for myself is to give analysis or to give an opinion. I just don't think he's very good. And I think that's a fair thing to say. I would love for him to be good or better. The problem here where love is a little bit behind the eight ball and for the Packers, you don't really care because your quarterback is Aaron Rodgers, and you don't want to play a bunch of your starters in meaningless preseason games. But I don't think Jordan Love can do anything in this preseason that is going to completely sway my opinion of him, which is a guy whose ceiling is very high because of his physical attributes, but whose floor is really low because of his decision-making and other just flaws in his game. And he hasn't gotten high enough, high enough up off that floor. I mean, that's just the way I view him. And when you're no disrespect to Juwan Winfrey, who I think has a legitimate chance to make the 53 when he's your number one target during games, that's not going to do a whole lot for me. When you're talking about the preseason throwing against CB three for every other team that doesn't do much behind a backup offensive line against backup pass rushers that I don't think Jordan can do anything that will make me think, you know what? Never mind. He is the chosen one to replace the, he's the giver. Okay. Or he's the receiver. And Aaron Rodgers is the giver for those of you who loved fourth grade English. Like, I don't think he can do anything over the course of the next two or three weeks to make me believe that. I do want to go to one quick thing that popped into my head about Jordan Love and development, because we've got to get to some other guys and their standout performances from Friday's game here. I think back to a piece at SB Nation by Jason Kirk, who was a college football writer. He's still an author, co-host of the Shutdown Fullcast. Shout out to the Internet's only college football podcast. And he wrote a piece going into the 2018 draft that pretty much said, if Josh Allen succeeds he will have pretty much proven the entire football world wrong. Analysts, reporters, scouts, everyone. Because he was a massive dude with a huge arm and great physicality who played at a Mountain West school that wasn't even all that great. It's not like he played for Boise State, okay? He played at Wyoming. And he didn't complete a ton of passes. There were a lot of turnovers. And if he turns into something good or great, he will have proven everyone wrong. And Bills fans still rag on that piece to this day like, oh my God, Jason Kirk, you idiot. You know, he was right, right? Like there was a lot working against Josh Allen and you credit the coaching staff. I think Brian Dable did a great job mm-hmm. within the last couple of years. I think Sean McDermott is an excellent head coach and the environment he has fostered helped Josh Allen. Josh Allen had to bust his ass for years to get to that point. Let's remember year one and into year two, Josh Allen was not exactly lighting the world on fire. Okay. It took until Dable really got in his ear and until he put in that work to get to the level where he is now, that's different. That is out of the box, frankly, just weird. And I'm not trying to say Jordan Love isn't putting in work. I'm not saying that at all. But that's the best case scenario, right? This guy with a massive arm and great athleticism 
from an okay Mountain West school has to go to the NFL and be able to essentially work out all of the decision-making problems and all of the turnover proneness. How many guys have done that in history? How many have been able to actually do that? Josh Allen, John Elway, like, and Elway was from a different school, obviously. He was at a bigger program than that, but. Yeah, John Elway went to Stanford, a, a team with history and tradition and a better just more resources and everything yes. that, that those schools yes, don't exactly. have. Yeah. Better resources. It's, oh man. It's, up from. Yeah. And, it, I, there aren't many that come to mind. Certainly. I mean, you know, Patrick Mahomes came from Texas tech. He had a similar background, I guess, to love from the standpoint of here's the flaws in his game. And Mahomes is now for my money's worth the best quarterback in the NFL. So I don't know, man, there's, there aren't many. I, I know that. I know that there aren't many. And that's the problem. One of the problems that I had indirectly with Jordan Love is like, how many times has that player succeeded? And the other thing about Josh Allen was like, Josh Allen was terrible. His rookie, like not bad, terrible. His rookie season, like they came to Lambeau and got shut out by the worst Packers team in the last, what, 10 years. That was the 2018 unit, which wasn't any good. And then the next year he was okay. And then, you know, obviously the last couple of years, he's never, he's, if I had to make a bet on who's going to win the MVP this season, I would bet on Josh Allen as we sit here on August 15th at 20 minutes to nine o'clock central time. You're right. That player, it hasn't succeeded often. So you're almost betting on, on an outlier. And I, I do think if you got truth serum into Brian Gutekunst, he's already admitted before that he would have handled the situation differently with the way they did everything or vice versa. I think if you got truth serum into Brian Gutekunst, I think he would tell you he would probably go about that whole pick even a different way just because of the way everything went down. I think that Gutekunst maybe saw a guy and wanted – they talked openly, like giddily, about wanting to pick a quarterback in that draft class. And then it was almost like they did it because Gutekunst wanted to make his legacy pick like Ted made with Aaron Rodgers and Juan Wolf with the Favre trade and everything like that. Just hasn't worked out. Thankfully for Gutekunst, that's not going to be his legacy pick now because Aaron Rodgers is going to play in Green Bay. He's going to retire in Green Bay, so he says. And, man, I'm telling you, there's a world that exists that's not too far-fetched where the divorce last season between Rodgers and the Packers gets even uglier if Rodgers like, goes full-fledged nuclear, I hate everything, get me out of here. That Gutekunst is not the general manager of the Packers right now. Like if Jordan Love played last year and the Packers stunk coming off an NFC title game and, and all that stuff, have that good of a roster, moved all that money, and they go, what, 5-12, and 12, maybe Gutekunst gets fired. Like it's amazing how quick something like that can change the entire future. And now Gutekunst was somebody last year who I argued should have won executive of the year because to his credit and Rodgers' credit, they mended that relationship and now – from a feeling standpoint, you got to feel good from the standpoint of that my childhood hero was Brett Favre. I mentioned that earlier. And I had to watch him get traded and then play for the Vikings. I don't have to watch that with Aaron Rodgers now, who I don't feel the same things for him that I felt with Favre just because I was older when all that stuff happened. But it's a nice thing that I feel like Rodgers is going to have that. So, yeah, with love, you're betting on an outlier. And I think if Gutekunst, to wrap this up, if Gutekunst got truth serum, he'd tell you, yeah, I probably would just do that whole thing over if I could. I want him to succeed. I just, A, have my doubts that he can in this situation. And I, again, I don't think there's opportunities for him to get to get to that point. And that's not his fault. 
but you're playing behind the two-time defending MVP. So I just don't think that opportunity is going to come. We've hit on a lot of what Jordan Love did against San Francisco. Let's get to some of the other players who really stood out to you. So Jacob, give me a name or two of guys who you thought really stood out during that preseason game. I think there were a couple on both sides of the ball. Uh, and funny enough, as much as we're talking about Jordan Love and the shortcomings that he may have shown in at least some instances, I thought a couple of pass catchers really stood out. Who were some of the guys to you who really made a big impression on you during that game against San Francisco? Yeah, speaking of guys I've been accused of hating, how about Amari Rogers? Somebody that I've said several times that the next time he looks like an NFL player will be the first. And yeah, maybe that's harsh, but <laughs> last year it was true. Never looked comfortable catching punts. No. Didn't do anything of note in the preseason, which I know everybody, like the counter argument is like, oh, he scored a touchdown in the fourth quarter against grocery baggers. Okay, cool. He didn't do that last year. Like there was nothing that happened last year that suggested, okay, that's why the Packers picked that dude in the third round. Well, now he has a big kickoff return. He makes that catch. He's putting together a solid camp per Wes Hodgwicks. Maybe his name isn't in like the tweet play-by-play from Andy Herman every single day, but there are some good things happening with Amari Rogers. And I think that that is something where it's going to be interesting to see how the receiving course shakes out with just how are they going to get your top three are Lazard, Cobb and Watkins. And I still think that Sammy Watkins is going to make the team. I know there's been some scuttle that maybe he wouldn't, but then how do you get those three guys integrated with Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs and Amari Rogers? So that's going to be interesting to see how all of that works out from that standpoint. But yeah, that was certainly one pass catcher I thought stood out. The other guy would have been uh, Tyler Goodson, the running back. I know Matt talked about him last week, referenced maybe watching him in a different capacity as a college football fan that likes to maybe wager a jelly bean or two on a game uh, going through that route. But right now he's got to be the leader in the clubhouse for running back three, which I thought was interesting because Patrick Taylor was somebody they clearly really like. And I thought of the three backs that were on the field four if you include Dexter Williams, but I thought he was the quote unquote worst one. So those are two guys, especially on the offensive side of the ball that stood out to me. I love the fact that we might get some real running back playing time competition. I mean, obviously AJ Dillon or yeah, AJ Dillon and Aaron Jones are both RB one a and RB one B. I mean, I've, I got no problem with that for certain. And I know they'll be mixed in whenever needed or whatever the matchup dictates. I loved Kylan Hill. I loved Kylan Hill in college. I got to see him a couple of times. I vividly remember him absolutely destroying a Kansas State Wildcats team, LOL, a couple of years back when he just, in fact, two different years, he just ran rough shot on them. I loved his game in college. I loved that pick in the seventh round last year. The injury, obviously, just devastating. I'm excited for when he comes back because he's, I'm certain going to start the year, at least on the pup list. When he comes back, I'd love to see him on the field in some capacity. But until then, if you told me, oh, the backup option is Tyler Goodson. And I know our guy, Iowa Joe, was telling us about this last week that, no, go with my guy Goodson. He's a stud. Well, he looked the part. I know he was a great player at Iowa, too. And even the angry Iowa running back hating God decided to let Tyler Goodson go and thrive at the University of Iowa. He looked tremendous in that game. And, and I know Andy Herman even said on Twitter that, hey, I've seen better from him at practice. Like, I don't even think that's the best that Goodson has looked this year. So he was obviously a big one for me. I also had Amari Rogers down. It sounds a little harsh what you said about the first time when he looks like an NFL player will be the first. But by the same token, we saw some development in that regard, right? Like, he, he wasn't scoring touchdowns last year. He was a complete nothing on the offensive side of the ball. And I still don't really love the idea of him playing special teams and being your focus returner. I would rather 
I don't know, have anyone else do that after last year? But can you get him to do something offensively? This is a kind of the juncture, I think, where we say, okay, if part of the argument, I know the real reason Randall Cobb came back was because he's Aaron Rodgers' best friend. Like, let's not kid ourselves. That's the reason he's on the team again. But if some of the theory, at least from fans, was, well, hey, he, being the elder statesman, he can kind of bestow some of his knowledge upon Amari Rodgers, help him out. They have a personal relationship, all of that. If that's ever going to happen, this offseason is the time for it, when Rodgers is going to need to do more with a more depleted wide receiver group and a somewhat banged up wide receiver group to this point. So for him, I think any amount of progress is a positive development. So I'm really glad we got to see at least something from him. And I'm hoping now stack the good plays on top of each other. And he did that. He had the great kick return, had the touchdown, keep stacking those plays. And I think the confidence level for him and in him is certainly going to go up. Those are the two guys that stood out. And of course, Romeo Dobbs, who I've said it before. I know everyone is in love with him now. The true degenerates know, and degenerate is not a slur on this program. The degenerates who stayed up late to watch Mountain West football, y'all have known about Romeo Dobbs for quite some time at this point. Not you though, right? Jacob, of degenerates, it is time for significant to some. If you are new to the final dump, it is very simple. During the preseason We're just going to give you a quick pick and move on. What's more important during the preseason, the player props. We're going to give you a number. We're going to pick the over or the under. We've done quarterback a couple weeks back. We did wide receivers last week. Jacob, I've got a couple player props with running backs for you this week. Are you ready for a couple A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones numbers? I am more than happy, and I'm also kind of thrilled. This was a – idea sorts of mine it, it was stolen from you i guess because this was one of your favorite little <laughs> twitter phrases to use but yeah i'm excited to be participating in this particular segment well i'm glad you get to be a part of it and let's jump right in running back player props number one aj Dillon rushing yards this season 750.5 over Ooh. under for aj Dillon, and this is rushing only for him Yeah, I'm going to go over. I think they're going to use Jones in more of a passing game type setting to where A.J. Dillon is running back one, so to speak. He's lining up behind Aaron Rodgers more often than Aaron Jones if they're going to use him that way. Uh, But, yeah, I think 750. I know that sounds like a lot, but it's – man, it's it's tough to imagine that Green Bay is not going to be a little more lenient on their run game this year. Dillon last year had over 500 yards – on the ground and and by the end of the year honestly that's scenario i'm talking about where he was the running back one that kind of was the case by the end of the year they definitely use dylan a lot more and use jones more as a as a weapon trying to get some explosive plays out of him so yeah i will go over with dylan at 750.5 i'm tempted to go with you i think that's a good number vegas i think has been on with these packers numbers that we've had the last couple of weeks i'm with you i don't know if he will go far over that he's not a secondary running back and i feel like as much as I and you as well like to rag on fantasy football writers, because I think a lot of times they're the pro- I'm talking professional ones, not like I have a couple of fantasy football leagues. I mean, not me, but like people who have FF in their name or something yep. similar on Twitter who are like, oh, the people who for the last two years have told you the Broncos roster is better than the Packers. I'm talking about those people who they have actually been, I think, on the cutting edge for A.J. Dillon that no, 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 no this dude's going to play a lot and he's going to play really well. I think more so than a lot of the football community has been, because he's still kind of viewed as RB two behind Aaron Jones, who's obviously a superstar, 
I think AJ Dillon's going to get used a ton this season. And I do think I'm, I'm right there with you. I think he's going to be the ground and pound guy because that fits his skill set. And I like him in the passing game. I know his college profile didn't indicate he would do much of that. He's competent enough there, but I think he's going to be your main focus ground and pound between the tackles guy. So I'm with you with a slight over there, but it's a perfect segue to Aaron Jones, total yards from scrimmage over under 1300.5 1300 for aaron jones okay so last year he was just a shade over 1100 799 rushing yards 391 receiving yards i'm not a mathematician uh but you know that's pretty close there I'm going to go under with Jones just because for some of the reasons, one of the points I was going to make when you're talking about for Dylan, as far as this guy's going to be good. Another thing with Jones is he tends to get banged up a little bit because he's smaller in stature. So he misses some time. Not only that, the Packers are careful with him and understandably. So with the way Matt LaFleur has used him the last couple of years, I know that they're different this year than they have been in recent years, but yeah, I definitely think that that is somebody that, Jones is going to, uh, I think he'll fall under that mark because I, I don't think he's going to play 17 games because he hasn't. And I think that, like I said, they're going to use A.J. Dillon more and there's just going to be weeks where there might be weeks where Jones catches, you know, eight passes for a buck 50 like he did in Kansas City a couple years ago. And then eventually teams will adjust to that like they did a couple of seasons ago and start treating him like a receiver when he's a pass catcher as opposed to a running back and lining him up against linebackers. So I'll go under. Yeah, I'm in lockstep with you. I'm feeling under as well. Again, it depends on how much usage you think they'll get out of A.J. Dillon. I think the point about is he going to play an entire schedule means a lot too. Goodson and Hill, once one of both of them are healthy, both on the roster, assuming Goodson makes it, I guess that's putting the cart before the horse a little bit, but whoever the running back three is temporarily or full-time, how involved are they going to be? The Packers obviously like Kylan Hill enough to draft him last year. They didn't wait to see if he'd sign as a UDFA. They spent a seventh round pick on him, so they clearly like him. Is that guy going to end up factoring in? I think there's a lot of questions there. I think he's going to come in, Aaron Jones here, a little under that 1300 mark. I do think he's going to catch plenty of passes this year. I, I mean, your slot receiver at times is going to be Aaron Jones and he might not always release from the slot, but I do think that's effectively going to be his role. Last one here. We're pushing up against the clock. So I'll give you one more. It's a joint one, both Dylan and Jones. They have the same number at certain books for rushing touchdowns this season. So Aaron Jones and AJ Dylan over under five and a half rushing touchdowns. Oh hell, over for both. Yeah, like I'm, the Devonte Adams slant touchdowns and the stupid like pot pass things that they do that come off of things that Devonte used to do. Those are gone. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's going to be inside the red zone. They're going to definitely be. And Lafleur talked about it last year. He was like, "Oh, why did our red zone offense struggle as much as it did last year?" He talked about running the ball inside the gold zone and the inability that they've had to do some stuff like that. So five and a half, A.J. Dillon might have over that number after the first five games of the season, like dead serious. And then I just got to find within 11 games, six Aaron Jones rushing touchdowns, I'm in, over. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think it's going to be over. I, anytime you're inside the five-yard line, the ball is getting handed off or one of those dumb little pitches. But, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think that's an easy over for both of them. Like, assuming health but at this point i think nfl discussion has gotten to a point we don't need to say depending on their health anymore i mean for guys who are injury prone sure but like 
yeah, that's football. Guys get hurt. You got to get lucky with health. I think that's an obvious one. All right, let's wrap up significant to some, and let's wrap up the final dump today, Jacob. Let's get a quick pick. The Packers are favored by three against the Saints for this preseason Lambeau Field game. I don't know how they came up with that number. I I don't get it at all. Uh, I will give you this little tip here. Generally, we try to come up with weird scores for preseason games. So I will give you the floor to give us your most bizarre score you can come up with to predict this game. Oh, man. I'm going to go 23-11 was like the first number that came to mind. Okay. So I'll do that. I'll say Green Bay. I think their backup has a higher end of probability than than scoring because it's Jordan Love or it's Andy Dalton. So like I could see a pick six from Andy Dalton, you know, Shamar John Charles gets his hand on a ball, makes a couple plays that way. But yeah, I'll I'll say if if I got to go weird score, yeah, 23-11 sounds weird enough to me that it makes enough sense. I am going to do something I might have never done before, or I did rarely. I did this last year for one game, and the Packers ended up winning. It was the – in fact, I might have even done this twice. I think it was the Rams and the 49ers. I actually picked the Packers to lose, which I pretty much never do. Again, I will never shy away from the fact that I'm just an unabashed homer. Uh, I'll pick the Packers to lose 22-18 to 18 to New Orleans. I don't know where those numbers come from. Uh, so if you're going to Probably gamble on this, I'm saying PATs they don't cover. if you watch the kicker uh, last week. Well, that's also true. Um, also – while we're talking about spreads on preseason games, you know my PSA. Do not gamble on preseason football. I am begging you, please do not do that. We do not discriminate against degenerates. Please don't bet on this. Jacob, I'm just going to pretend I can't see your screen right now. Jacob Westendorf, the head honcho of Game on Wisconsin, thank you so much for filling in last minute for Matt this week. Despite some of the commentary from the Game on Wisconsin YouTube, we appreciate seeing your smiling face this week. Even Todd. Thank you so much for joining us. Obviously, shout out to our guy, Matt Freilich. Matt, thinking about you. Can't wait for you to jump back on as soon as possible. We will be back coming up next Monday. Don't forget to go follow all of us on social media. You can find myself on Twitter at BrendanDZW. Jacob's on Twitter at Jacob Westendorf. And Matt is on Twitter at Matt underscore F-R-A underscore. Of course, go check out Game on Wisconsin on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, all across your social media profiles. You can follow all we're doing at Game on Wisconsin. So until next Monday night, live at 8, and until next Tuesday morning on the Game on Wisconsin YouTube feed, for Matt Freilich, for Jacob Westendorf, I'm Brendan Dworzynski. Thank you so much for joining us on this week's edition of The Final Dump. Well, Wayne, I think this is one that Vince Lombardi and George Hallis would be proud of. You could have given me a touchdown. That is hard to overturn, you know what I mean? I understand that. was a good effort, though, wasn't it? That's pretty good effort.